Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Entrepreneurs sometimes enjoy being the star of the show. Yes, and so we have a little ego moment in that we hire B players or maybe even C players because we always want to be the only A player in the room. And that's why I try to encourage people to hire someone better than you in each functional area because that's how you'll make your business an A player, which is what they really want. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Welcome back. Today's guest is Valerie Hayes. Valerie is a fractional COO who helps entrepreneurs grow their business. In this episode, we talk about the role of a fractional CFO in a business, a hiring tip entrepreneurs should follow, and why personal development is important for business growth. Running a business is a 24-7 job, or at least it can be. Valerie shows a unique approach to avoid burnout and overburdening yourself. Let's talk with Valerie now. Hey, Valerie, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks for being part of the show. Hey, I'm just curious, what part of the country are you uh, talking from? I'm about 30 miles north of Houston, Texas, and we have been horrifically hot all summer. So we're enjoying a quote-unquote cooler day today of 75. (laughs) Yeah, you got in 75 isn't too bad then. I mean, that's uh, right. like you said, that's definitely cooler. But yeah, I know in Texas, I have a couple of clients. The heat has been just really hard to deal with. I'm in Northern California, so not quite as uh, hot as, as you guys have gone through, fortunately. But very scenic. Yeah, very scenic for sure. Yeah, we're kind of blessed here. Hey, can you share with us what you do for work, what you do for employment these days? Right. So I am a fractional COO, which is just a fluffy word for part-time COO, right? We like to make ourselves sound better. And, you know, in today's gig economy, the fractional C-suite executive or fractional executive leader has become much more and more common. And it's really a great opportunity for small businesses who want to grow rapidly, but don't want to hire a full-time COO with the executive perks and benefits and salary and all that kind of add-on stuff, right? But they get the advantage of the experience and the knowledge and the been there, done that, right? With a significantly very affordable rate and 
because, you know, when you're growing a business, no matter how quickly you want to grow, no matter how smart you are and how much studying you do, and you just really, you know, give it your all, there's a lot of trial and error that happens there. And so when you hire a fractional COO, it's like you're hiring speed. Because a fractional COO can come in and go, yeah, do this, do that, don't do that. Let's move this around over here, stand this upside down on its head, and we're good, right? So a fractional executive leader can grow your business faster than you could do it on your own and still make it really cost-effective for you as a small business owner. Great, great. So I have a bunch of questions for you on this whole COO world. I'm going to hold off asking you those first because I'd love to talk about your background a little bit. I know from doing a little research on you that you scaled your own business and you went from a local business to a nationally recognized leader in five years, which is pretty amazing. Can you share that story? Like, Take us through from starting to when you're nationally recognized. Right. So, you know, I had been in corporate America for several years and wanted to have more flexibility, more control over my time, um, unlimited income, like many people who are entrepreneurs or small business owners. And so I decided to start this little local consulting practice, right, which was great. You know, my little niche and I was fine. And at first, my goal was just to be known in my community. And you know how it is. You work really hard to be really, really good at your craft and to really make sure that everyone's getting value and having a good client experience. And so word of mouth, things started moving beyond just my local community. And then I was just sort of focused on Texas, which of course is not a small state. And people were driving like six hours one way for an appointment. This is before people were doing virtual appointments regularly. And so then I was really, really well known in Texas. And then I showed up on MTV in (laughs) a hysterical story. There was an MTV episode, one of those makeover episodes, right? Where they're making somebody over. And my name had been put forward several times to be considered in the episode, but I wasn't in my early 20s at that time. They really wanted someone younger and hipper, right? So they brought that woman in to help create the transformation for the business, right? And it was sort of a flop. (laughs) But they didn't want it to be a total flop. So they started asking around, who do you think we can bring in to coach this woman that we brought in as the consultant? And everybody kept telling them, you should call Valerie Hayes. So they called and I was like, you know, a total idiot. MTV, what's that? You know, (laughs) like, oh, and they were actually surprised when I told them I'd have to get back to them because I had never heard of their show. Right. So I went to check them out. So I was on MTV. It was one of their number one episodes for that season. And then suddenly I started getting called by other production companies. I was on CNN, ABC, CBS, Headline News. So I was Fox News. So I was sort of everywhere. And that's when people from around the country started seeing me. And so they started calling too. In conjunction with that wonderful media exposure though, I also adopted a different marketing strategy than most of the coaches and consultants in my niche. Most of them were just relying on word of mouth, which is great. But at a certain point, you run out of people you know or who know you, right? So I started email marketing in 2008. I started doing an email newsletter. I started on social media so that I could really expand my network. So when people were thinking about someone they had already seen or heard about me, right? And I was really, really fortunate. So that's how I became nationally known in five years. And it's really, I think it was because I really leveraged that media exposure in my digital marketing, my email marketing and social media, 
And I got in on marketing to customers directly before most of my niche did. I was probably a good 10 years ahead of everybody in my niche in marketing directly to the buyer as opposing to kind of just word of mouth stuff. Right. So I want to get into some... That's an awesome story, by the way. And it's interesting and fascinating to hear like how one thing kind of mushrooms mm-hmm. and it just like kind of has a life of its own. Really cool story. And congratulations on your success. Thank you. I, I do want to shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about what you see with businesses, particularly when it comes to scaling. Like what do you see in terms of challenges that they're facing and things that slow them down? The number one thing that people think about when they think about scaling their business is they think about ramping up their sales and marketing. Right. And so, and you know, there's 4,000 gazillion coaches out there, consultants with ads on Facebook or YouTube who can make you a million dollar business in 90 days or less. <laughs> right. So there's lots of people out there that contribute to that stereotype that if we're talking about scaling your business, we're talking about sales and marketing. But that's not really the case. What you need to do to scale your business is have the foundation in place first. Because if you just focus on sales and marketing, you can get to a certain point, but then you're going to plateau because you're no longer able to deliver beyond what you're selling at, right? Because after the sale occurs and you know they've signed on the dotted line or clicked on the button and made the purchase, you've now got to do some kind of client onboarding. You've got to do product or service delivery. Maybe there's some customer service, project management, um, you know, payments. How are we getting paid? What are we doing about payments we don't receive on time? And so people are ignoring the 20% of their business that actually has 80% of the impact. I know that people tend to think of it the other way around, but how you run your business is what creates your business. It's not sales and marketing, right? You can't just, if you can't deliver on what you're selling, no matter how many sales you have, you're still going to go under because you can't deliver on it. And I think that's a stereotype that that really holds people back because they think I want to make more money. So I go out and sales, do sales and marketing like ad fanatum, right? But I don't have the structure in place. Ideally, in a perfect world, right? In a perfect world, you have the structure in place first as you're beginning to ramp up so that everybody's fully trained and in place and hitting the ground running when those big sales come in. Now that doesn't always work, right? Maybe it never actually works that way, right? The ideal. But if you focus on the infrastructure, you know, as well as the selling, it's when, you know, we're having a field of dreams moment where if you build it, they will come. Right, right. As I'm listening to you speak, some things are coming to my head. What are those telltale signs that, you know, as a company, let's say you're taking on orders, you are getting those orders, you are getting those sales, but what are telltale signs? Is it just not being able to, is it, quality of product? Is it not being able to schedule them in a certain time frame? Are there certain signs that say, man, your infrastructure has some challenges? Interestingly, the first sign is usually clients are slipping through the cracks, mm. right? We didn't get them onboarded. We onboarded them too late. And so two weeks later, they're emailing us and going, hello, <laughs> you know, I send you my money. What's going on? Also, there's typically a decline in product quality or service quality because the staff is not equipped to deal with the volume that you've got. And we also see a real delay in decision-making processes. And that's because the owner is feeling overwhelmed. The owner or entrepreneur is feeling overwhelmed. They've got too many things going on. 
They haven't learned how to push down decision-making into the lowest level of the organization possible. They're still making all the decisions themselves. They think that's what they're supposed to do, right? And so it's the the clients falling through the cracks. It's a decline in quality and it's decision-making not getting done. And interestingly enough, you would think that it was clients falling through the cracks or declining quality that would prompt people to seek out a fractional CO, but usually it's decisions not getting done. Mm. So like, do you have an example or does anything come to mind? And sorry if this is catching you off guard of what are like decisions not getting done? Like, does anything stand out that typically comes to you as a client? Yes. And first of all, I'm going to do my disclaimer (laughs) because my relationships with my client is based on trust. I never share any specific details that could make anyone guess who it is. Right. Perfect. But a very typical scenario with a client is that you've got uh, someone who founded the company and, you know, was doing everything at first and managing everything. And maybe a member of their family was pitching in on some stuff. And then, you know, people join the organization. And usually once you get beyond, four or five people, that's when you need to start delegating the decisions down. But what people tend to do is they hire people at a lower level than what they really need. Mm, Ouch, right? Does this sound like you people? (laughs) And so they don't think they can delegate down because that person isn't prepared, right? So the thing that I encourage entrepreneurs and business owners to do is when you're hiring something for one of your functional areas, let's just pretend it's sales or maybe even customer service, right? When you're hiring something for that area, you need to hire someone who's better than you at that area. So you don't have to train them. You don't have to worry about teaching them how to make decisions in that area of expertise that they can just come and hit the ground running and be making recommendations to you so that you're making decisions on recommendations, not, you know, assessing the whole situation and trying to tell them what to do and how to do it. And there's usually a lot of frustration involved with that, right? Because the business owner has these ideas. They have a clear vision of what they could be doing, what the potential is but things aren't clicking with their team. And it's because, again, they've hired people at a lower level. They haven't coached and mentored them and brought them up to where they need to be. So usually, obviously, when I join a company, I don't want to just randomly fire everyone, right? Because (laughs) they're not where we want them to be. So one of my first goals is to work directly with the team members and coach them and mentor them so that we get their performance up to a standard of excellence that reflects where we need to be delivering. And then I start teaching them how to make decisions about their functional area. And my goal is eventually to be to let go. So at first, I feel like I'm managing their functional area. And then I feel like I'm helping manage their functional area. And then they're managing their functional area and I'm just providing leadership. So why do you think entrepreneurs hire people that are underskilled or is it a budget issue is there what's your thinking on that and why they don't kind of shoot for someone that's an expert let's say in their area or their domain well it's typically for one of two reasons the first one and most obvious is a budget issue because you know when you're bootstrapping your way through the beginning stages of any business you don't necessarily wait wanting to spend a lot of money on salary however Salary is typically your biggest investment, your largest line item in your budget. And we need to stop thinking of it as an expense and think of it as an asset. You're purchasing an asset that is helping you deliver your product or service. 
And so typically it's the, I'm trying to pinch pennies thing. So I'm going to go with an entry-level person in this field or what I see really commonly, I'm so sorry to say, is people, oh, oh, I know this person. They're really smart. They're really on the ball. They have no idea about my area of expertise, but they're going to come in and I'm going to train them up. And when in reality, and, and that could be a great person, but the reality is the owner does not have the time and availability to train the person. And then things just sort of go downhill from there. The second and somewhat less obvious reason is because entrepreneurs sometimes enjoy being the star of the show. Yes. And so we have a little ego moment in that we hire B players or maybe even C players because we always want to be the only A player in the room. And that's why I try to encourage people to hire someone better than you in each functional area, because that's how you'll make your business an A player, which is what they really want, right? And if you bring in the right kind of A player in one of those functional areas, they're not going to be threatening your leadership. They're going to be supporting your leadership and enabling you, right? So we need to have a mindset shift for some people around that. Hey, this is Tyler. Oftentimes, business owners and entrepreneurs hire me because they are stuck. Their business is stuck. They've hit a wall and can't take their business to the next level. And they're frustrated. When I grew my second business, it took me a while to get the pieces to fit. But once they did, the business scaled fast. In fact, it grew to $25 million in annual revenue and ultimately sold for eight figures. So I decided to put together a roadmap for scaling a business. I want to help stuck business owners that want to scale, but are having challenges. It's called the Scale in 5 Roadmap, and you can get a copy by doing the following. Text the number 55444 and type the word SCALE and hit send. A copy of the roadmap will be sent to your inbox. And if you bring in the right kind of A player in one of those functional areas, they're not going to be threatening your leadership. They're going to be supporting your leadership and enabling you, right? So we need to have a mindset shift for some people around that. Now, that's a subconscious thing, isn't it? Where if they're hiring these B and C players, they're not consciously going, hey, I don't want someone as good as me. They're kind of subconsciously doing it, right? Would you say? You haven't met very many executives, <laughs> have you, Josh? <laughs> I don't know. The ones I know usually don't overtly admit it. It's usually like, you know, they just wind up with this kind of weak staff. Yeah. Some of them, some of them just aren't good self-observers. Yeah. Yeah, Good point. But there are others that they know they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, as part of your role, do you kind of have that, you know, come to that conversation with them in terms of like, hey, we need to realign our values in terms of who we're bringing in. Are you, is that a role you take on in, in your role? Yes. As the CEO, I have two jobs, primary responsibilities. One, keep the CEO out of jail, right? (laughs) Don't do anything for which we can be arrested. And two, to deliver the hard truth that no one else wants to say. Got it. Right? Because I am more in a peer and trusting relationship with the CEO as the COO, whereas other individuals are a little more worried about, you know, who's signing my paycheck. Right. right. And because I'm part time, I'm not relying on them solely for my income. So I do deliver the honest feedback. I don't, you know, scream and rant and rave and tell people they're idiots, but sure. I just try to point out 
that you know some of the behaviors we might engaging might be engaging in or things we're doing are not helping us achieve our goal and i try to make it really really easy and palatable for them to change what they're doing or for them to implement change and support change in the organization got it now I want to talk a little bit about systems. As soon as I go into systems, I think some people kind of like it. We immediately go into boredom. But what I love, what I read about you is you wrote, it creates systems that make sense, but don't feel restrictive. And I love that language because I think a lot of times when people think systems, they get scared of them. Part of that is because it's so restrictive. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how do you create a system that's not restrictive? That's a, a very common understanding of processes and procedures. And when anyone says you need a standard operating procedure, everyone has visions of this really fat three ring binder with right. documentation that no one ever looks at again. And processes are really just an agreed upon system of behavior to achieve a task, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be written. It just has to be agreed upon. This is how we do it. This goes from person one to person two to person three, and this is what they do, right? Now, if you have high turnover, yes, you're going to need some documented processes and procedures. But oftentimes for growing organizations without high turnover, the processes and procedures are evolving so quickly that if you wrote them, they'd be out of date four months later, right? Because your infrastructure is growing and evolving and how you're delivering and selling to your client. I once had a client who's very, very smart, very with it, hardworking, extremely intelligent. And she had overdeveloped her processes and procedures. They were, you know, you had the processes and procedures that you were supposed to do every day. And then you had to check the box as you went along. And then you had to check mark another spreadsheet to verify the first check mark. And the problem with overly developed processes and procedures is because what you're telling your team members, you think they're stupid and that they can't do it. They can't think on their own. Now, there are some things like neurosurgeon, you really do <laughs> want them to stick to the processes and procedures, right? But people want to feel like they're making a contribution. And if they're just following things and don't have any input or any decision-making responsibility or any leeway in how they achieve the task, they're going to feel like robots and you're either not going to hit any of your business goals or you're going to have an extremely high turnover rate. Right, right. So I love, and I got to just applaud you for this. I love the way you give people permission not to have to put it in writing. Because I think I think that's one thing we get so hung up on that processes and systems have to be... Three ring binders, definitely one of the things people think about. But even if they get past that... Everything has to be written. Everything has to be documented. Now, I'm not going to deny that's nice to do if you can do it. Mm -hmm. But having said that, really, it's the agreement on the process that matters. It's the agreement on the steps that you're going to take to follow. And I love that you give permission in the right scenarios to that it doesn't necessarily have to be in writing. It's the agreement part that's important. And it's the execution part that's important. And that's basically what you said, right? Right. I feel love like it. we just need a little common sense here, yeah, right? I love it. If everybody understands the process and, and sort of they're adhering to the process, and I find that most people do as long as you're proactively communicating and why this is important, how this benefits you and how this benefits the larger organization and what's your role. It doesn't need to be that fancy, right? right. And I'm working with a client now who uh, we've shifted positions like every three to four months with team members because they're growing so fast and we've wow. changed processes because of that. We haven't had time to stop and document anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the speed of right? you moving, right? Right. And we're yeah. lean and mean. We're moving very quickly, making incredible growth and really upping their game of product and service delivery. 
And, you know, we meet weekly, you know, with different teams meet weekly, and then we have a management team meeting. So we all know what we're doing. We've communicated, we've agreed to it. We're just not writing it down. Yeah, that's cool. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about you and just the whole COO world. As part of that, do you still do EOS integration? Are you still an integrator? Yes, I am a graduate of the EOS integrator program. And what's interesting about EOS is people think of it as this heavy processy thing, right? And that is the way it's delivered, right? It's you have these meetings this many times a week and these meetings this many times a month and those meetings once a quarter. And here's the grid and the graph and all this kind of stuff. But what's really interesting about EOS is that it's really teaching leadership and communication skills. It's very common sense. And what I've noticed is that very few organizations want to implement it on the whole. There are many people who prefer to implement parts of it, the parts that they feel are going to benefit them and their organization. And then maybe they don't want to implement these other parts. And I feel my approach is I'm not going to come in and say, you have to do EOS. That's the only operating system I teach or something. And you have to do it 100%. What I try to do is come in and say, I have a variety of tools in my toolbox. And I'm going to select from those the tools that I think are going to work best for you and your organization to help you move forward quickly. There's no point in trying to you know, attach something to an organization that the culture isn't going to accept. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of respect for EOS and, and for the audience. EOS is a system that is a methodology, if you will, that really helps growing companies like have a consistent way of having meetings, of having accountability, of having goals. And then they have different level, I don't know if levels is the right word, but different roles. And yes. your role mm-hmm. is the integrator, which I believe that's the most hands-on one in terms of you know exactly how to integrate it into the company and actually move it along. Is that that what that title means? Yes, you're working directly with the senior level management of the company, as well as perhaps some you know mid-level management in teaching how to use the tools and helping them over Rollbox to implement. Because some companies take to it very easily. Accounting, financial services, engineering organizations, they just sort of eat that up with a spoon and totally and completely love it, right? Whereas creative organizations are somewhat (laughs) less willing to adopt it. They don't like to be penned in. They like to color outside the lines, right? But you can implement EOS without calling it EOS. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I have to say that EOS is an extremely impressive system. And I recommend that people who are interested in it read the book Rocket Fuel, which is fabulous. Traction is the original book, which is very thick. Rocket Fueler, Rocket Fuel is much more narrow. So if you want the long version, read Traction by Gina Wickman. But if you want the smaller version, read Rocket Fuel. And then what's the name of the one? Is it what the heck is EOS? The one that actually takes you through a real EOS implementation? I think it's what the heck. I think that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, if you're an entrepreneur, I would encourage you to maybe check that one out too, because it's just, it's more of story based and it's kind of fun, the personalities and who adapts to it and who doesn't really want to be part of it. So the reason I asked you, I really much respect it. So it's cool to know that's kind of, I love to hear you say you kind of use it as a tool and you decide which tools fit for the job. And it's just not a, you know, one size fits all type thing. So I think that's really cool. Now let's talk a little bit about the COO. 
How does a company know they need a COO? Or and we've kind of covered it a little bit, but can you give us some other signs? Like, and how do you introduce a CEO into the company, like a fractional one in particular? Like, do you just show up one day once the entrepreneur hires you? Or I'm just kind of curious how that plays out. Well, let's start with how do you know you need a fractional COO? When you have issues across your organization, not just specific to one functional area, right? Where the areas aren't working together well, things aren't passing, the workflow is not good. When you're feeling that across the area of the organization and you're thinking in your head, oh, I think I need a project manager or a director of operations. No, you need a fractional COO because a project manager manages projects within one function. An operations director manages issues across several functions, but typically people don't report to the operations director. They maybe just work with them. And the operations director typically doesn't have finance, HR, or administration right? Whereas a COO is going to be able to have that high level strategic view of where we're trying to go with our strategy and how I need to move these people and pieces around to make it all work. So if you've got one area, you probably just need a project manager. If you've got two or three areas where it's just not coming together, then we need an operations director. But if you're like, this is just not working at all, (laughs) you need a COO. Now, as far as a fractional COO, really, honestly, having worked full-time in several large Fortune 500 companies, it's really like bringing in any individual, really, even at a supervisor level or above. When you're coming into the organization as the new person, you want to spend your first few weeks, maybe even up to a month, just sort of observing and asking questions and getting the flow of things. If there are some quick fixes, it's not going to upset the apple cart too much. You know, we go ahead and make those. But you don't want to just go in and randomly start changing stuff because you don't really have a good lay of land. You may have what the CEO told you he thinks he has a problem, <laughs> which is absolutely rarely the case, right? And so it's just like any kind of position. You come in and you assess, you review things, and then you start using your change management skills. We start making small changes or small implementations that benefit primarily the employees, right? Because they're worried that you've come in, oh my gosh, am I going to get fired? What if they don't like me? You know, What if my job gets eliminated, right? So you're trying to make small changes that benefit the employee. And then you start to make bigger changes and progressively larger changes. So you get to a point where you've uh, changed the culture in the organization and everyone is now comfortable with change and excited about process improvement. And they're constantly trying to think how they can you know, improve their job or improve their function or improve the company. So it's really a lot about you know, just being cognizant of how people typically react to change and then managing them through the process. Very cool. Now, does your typical engagement, is this like an ongoing perpetual thing or is is it more like, hey, after six months, I've done what I can do and then I back? How does it work typically? It varies with the client. I have clients who are long-term, ongoing, retained services. I also have clients that would hire me for a few months at a time for a particular project. They don't really have the need for you know an ongoing monthly retainer. So we just do a project-based project. I also have people who just want to do a phone call once a month. This is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? And that's totally fine too. So that's charged hourly. I really like to sort of, I know this is an overly used phrase, but I like to meet them where they're at, right? Because my goal is... Obviously, one hopes to make money, but my goal 
my primary goal is not making money. My primary goal is being helpful and providing services that move their business forward. Because I feel that if I do that, that the money will follow. Yeah, I love that. I love that mindset. Hey, I always love to end the show with if you have something you can share, whether it be a business or a life tip that we can apply. Is there anything you have off the top of your head? Yes. And I'm sure that people will be surprised that this is a tip for business. But other than being a parent, running your own business is the biggest personal development challenge you'll ever have. And if you want your business to grow, you as a person, you as an individual, you as a leader, you're going to have to grow too. Because your company cannot grow faster than you do. It's just not possible. And so you should always be curious, always should be learning, always trying to raise your personal bar of excellence, and then your business will naturally follow. Wow. That's a good one. A lot of wisdom locked into that one. Your website is ValerieHayes.com. I will put this in the show notes, the link. Hayes has an E, so Valerie, H-A-Y-E-S, ValerieHayes.com. If people wanted to reach out to you, is there anywhere else you'd want them to go other than ValerieHayes.com? I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so if you send me a message there, I actually respond to all the messages. It's not my VA. And I'm also on Instagram. I respond slightly less quickly on Instagram. And I'm really not on Facebook, although I do have a Facebook page. So you can find me on all three, but I'm most active on LinkedIn. Okay. So LinkedIn for fast response, Instagram for a little slower and forget about Facebook right now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, hey, thank you so much. I can tell you just have a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you sharing it here. And hopefully we can have you back on again in the future. I would love that, Tyler. Thank you so much. Thanks, Valerie. Take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.